PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Hi, Miller and Cotton in Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Waiting on Governor Kim Reynolds. She will begin her press conference momentarily while we do that uh, from the Iowa Department of Health. Uh, 500 new cases from yesterday, nine additional deaths from yesterday. Um, What else have we got? 2,164 recoveries. Uh, so anyways, uh, total tests, uh, 39, just under 40,000 total tests. Governor Kim Reynolds coming up. Yeah, it's uh, impacted my family. A uncle uh, has been has contacted COVID-19. My How old? 50s, mid-50s. Uh, my, so a youngster. <laughs> not quite. I got you. Not quite. My brother-in-law also, uh, he's been tested. He works at the Tyson plant up in Sioux City. Oh. So yeah, it's certainly scary times. Here's the governor of the state of Iowa, Kim Reynolds. Morning's press conference with the numbers again. So today we have 508 new positive cases for a total of 6,376 positive cases. 98% of those positive cases were in the 22 counties where restrictions remain in place. We had 1,165 new negative cases for a total of 33,447. Yesterday we ran a total of 1,673 test. A total of 39,823 Iowans have been tested for a per capita of one in every 79 Iowans. Uh, The state hygienic lab has testing capacity of 5,226. We have 2,169 Iowans that were diagnosed with COVID-19 who have recovered for a recovery rate of 34%. Today, I am so sorry to report that we have had nine additional Iowans who have died as a result of this virus. Today's deaths are among older and elderly adults, and seven were residents of long-term care facilities. Also, unfortunately, uh, the Department of Public Health has confirmed seven additional long-term care facility outbreaks. Granger Nursing and Rehab Center in Dallas County, Dubuque Specialty Care in Dubuque County, Park Center and Acura Healthcare of Newton West, both in Jasper County, Iowa's Vet- Iowa Veterans Home in Marshall County, Fleur Heights uh, Center for Wellness and Rehab and the University Park Nursing and Rehab, both in Polk County. And again, all of those just mentioned are in the ca- uh, counties that remained um, under uh, higher restrictions. From the start, we've taken uh, significant and proactive mitigation measures to protect long-term care facilities and our most vulnerable Iowans who live there because we know that COVID-19 spreads quickly in congregate settings. We're deploying long-term care strike teams to to conduct surveillance testing of employees in areas where virus activity is high and we'll continue to ramp up these efforts. 
as we begin to uh, reopen Iowa safely and responsibly, testing, case management, and tracing remain critical components to understanding and managing virus activity. Tomorrow, a second a test Iowa site will be opening in Waterloo at Crossroads Mall, and testing for, uh, testing for now is prioritized for essential workers and people who, are curr who currently have symptoms of COVID-19, have been in contact with someone who has the virus, or have recently been in an area where it's more widespread. So go as a reminder, go to testiowa.com and complete a brief online assessment. And then individuals who qualify are scheduled for an appointment to be tested. Testing is also available in Des Moines. We've ran sites Monday and Tuesday, and we have more sites um, that will be opening up soon. As I've said, expanding t testing capabilities helps us better understand virus activity across the state so that we can target our response efforts and focus on containing and managing the virus for the long term. Yesterday, I also announced that some uh, businesses would begin to reopen later this week in 77 of Iowa's counties. Effective May 1st, restaurants, fitness centers, retail stores, and enclosed malls may um, reopen at 50% of normal operating capacity while complying with certain require requirements um, designed to protect the workers, the customers, and our communities. In all cases, those businesses must ensure that social distancing continues to take place increased hygiene practice and public health measures that are consistent with guidance from the Department of Public Health. You know, many Iowans have missed their favorite local restaurant and they're curious about how the experience will be different and whether it will be safe. The Iowa Restaurant Association worked proactively with owners across the state to establish guidelines for adapting operations and meeting expectations of their customers. The Iowa Department of Public Health and the um, and Department of uh, Inspection and Appeals also partner together to develop specific guidance for restaurants as they prepare to begin serving their customers again soon. I've asked Sarah Reister to provide an overview of the guidance being provided to restaurant owners and employees so that Iowans can return to their favorite place with complete, complete confidence. Sarah. Uh, thank you, Governor Reynolds, and good morning. As we prepare to open some businesses in Iowa, we wanted to take an opportunity to review some of the guidance that's been developed for reopening. This guidance has been put in place to ensure that we can reopen responsibly. We want to do this in a manner that protects not only the health of Iowans visiting these establishments, but also the health of the employees that work there. We've developed guidance for businesses that have remained open over the last couple of months, and along with them, we've instituted practices to keep customers and employees safe. Many of these protective measures are the same as what the governor ordered in her proclamation yesterday. And now, along with other state agency partners, Public Health has put together additional guidance for restaurants and farmers markets. We'll post this guidance at coronavirus.iowa.gov, and I'll run through some of it here for you today. But before I do that, I want to make sure all of us continue to understand that there are Iowans who continue to be at higher risk for more severe illness, and we all need to do our part to help keep them healthy by following this guidance. And I want to remind those of you who are at high risk that you should continue to stay home as much as possible. If you do decide to leave your home, it continues to be important for you to practice social distancing whenever possible. We know this is challenging, and we are here for you if you have questions. 
As Governor Reynolds said, we know many Iowans are looking forward to getting back out to eat at their favorite restaurants. Yesterday's proclamation allows restaurants in many counties to resume limited on-premises dining service starting Friday. Restaurants are required to limit seating to 50% of normal capacity, limit group sizes to no more than six people, arrange seating to provide a minimum of six feet between tables, prohibit customer self-service of beverages or food, including buffets and salad bars, implement reasonable measures to ensure social distancing of employees and customers. The Iowa Department of Inspections and Appeals and the Iowa Department of Public Health strongly recommend that all restaurants adhere to the additional guidance that we'll post at our web pages and at coronavirus.iowa.gov. These additional measures include an enhanced cleaning schedule and eliminating seating at bar areas where people would sit close together. We also encourage restaurants to use a reservation-only system for in-establishment dining. Customers can even be screened upon arrival by asking whether anyone in the party has tested positive, has any symptoms, or has been exposed to COVID-19. All employees should be screened before each shift and immediately excluded from the workplace if they have any symptoms. Employees with direct customer contact should wear masks that are laundered or replaced daily, and workstations should be staggered so employees are stationed at least six feet apart whenever possible. We understand that we're asking restaurants to take many precautions, but it's all in an effort to help protect their employees and their customers so that we can all stay healthy. Another important part of how we purchase food as Iowans is at farmers markets, and specific guidance has been developed by the Iowa Department of Public Health, the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship, the Iowa Department of Inspections and Appeals, Iowa State University Extension for these operations as well. This guidance provides that farmers markets can only sell farm products and food. There can be no entertainment, other social activities, or common seating. There is a required six-foot minimum spacing between vendors and other social distancing requirements for vendors and customers. Signs should be posted telling the public not to enter if they are feeling ill. And vendors should consider accepting cashless options whenever possible. This guidance will be posted at the coronavirus.iowa.gov website and the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship webpages as well. And finally, the Iowa Department of Public Health has also developed general guidance for any businesses that will be reopening in the next week. This includes following CDC cleaning and disinfection guidance. Encouraging the provision of hand sanitizer and hand washing supplies for employees as well as the public. Posting reminders to employees and members of the public to stay at least six feet away from others when in the facility and marking six-foot intervals when possible. And again, providing clear messaging to employees so that they understand how to take care of themselves and also protect their customers. So as Governor Reynolds mentioned yesterday, this is all part of turning down the dial, and we will continue to monitor the spread of COVID-19 and make recommendations for adjustment of public health containment and mitigation measures as needed. It's critically important that businesses, farmers markets, and other gathering spots follow the guidance that we've provided so that we can start to open our state while still protecting the health of its residents.
Before I turn the podium back over to the governor, I especially want to thank our partners in local public health and emergency management across all 99 counties for their flexibility as new directives and guidance continue to be issued. They're responding every moment of every day <clears throat> to what's happening in their communities and communicating regularly with their partners and local elected officials, as well as following the latest updates from the state. We appreciate them and all they're doing during this challenging time. And now, Governor Reynolds, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, I appreciate the work that the Department of Public Health and the Department of Inspection and Appeals and all that you listed have done to help really uh, restaurants and many other businesses to prepare for returning to work under these new and different circumstances. So thank you for your efforts in that. I appreciate it very much. You know, across the nation, restaurants have been hard hit by the closings that were necessary for us to slow the spread of COVID-19. And they've been especially missed by their patrons. Here in Iowa, we've seen many restaurant owners get creative in order to continue employing staff and serving their customers. From revamping their menus to for carryout to creating special meal subscriptions for families, Iowa restaurants have shown that they can still inspire dining uh, even when we're eating at home. Some even dedicated themselves to serving their community from their kitchens in truly meaningful ways. Like Joel Marr, the owner of Primrose Restaurant um, in Corning. After the closure of restaurants, I had a friend share a video from Facebook of Joel reaching out to his community, letting him know that he would remain open for carryout service. But he also made a commitment to serve free lunch to K-12 students. K through 12 students while they were out of school during this time. Joel's story speaks to the very heart of who we are as Iowans. So I wanted to take this opportunity today to check in with Joel, hear about his business and lunch program and his plans to reopen um, Primrose. So Joel, thanks for joining me today. Uh, yeah, thank you, Governor. It's, a, it's an honor. It's good to see you again. <laughs> um, so what we did was uh, we did um, you know, lunches for the school, uh, just to help out school as well as the, uh, the kids, uh, here in town. Um, something is, you know, we wanted to make sure that there was fruit, um, you know, a good, good uh, amount of protein and carbohydrate with them as well. Um, and then every so often what kid doesn't like a little bit of, uh, something sweet in there. So we've been making some homemade brownies, things like that with them. Um, with that being said, we, we did this just to, give back to the community since it was such um a humbling experience that everybody helped us out um corning as well as the surrounding areas has helped us out tremendously by donating uh money for the kids as well as to make sure that we stay our, our doors open um it has been a great on you know outpouring of, of love uh from uh everybody around us and uh, in the, in these times, um, it's it's good to see some positive uh, things come back from it. Thank you. So, are you are you getting ready to reopen? Yep, uh, we're looking at some options. Um, we may. I feel uh, confident that we could still kind of keep this extra two weeks and kind of really teach our staff some stuff, um, as well as. Uh, 
probably continue doing what we're doing right now yep. and, uh, you know, get uh, everything working with the uh, Restaurant Association to make sure that everything, all the implementations are in place and, uh, and get our staff fully ready. And, and that way we can uh, give our guests the expectations that they're looking for and um, uh, look forward to keeping everybody safe and healthy. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Your resilience is extremely inspiring, and I wish you much success as you reopen Primrose, and I, for one, can't wait to come back. So, um, Mm -hmm. And much luck to all of the restaurant owners and staff who are all busy um, preparing to reopen. We wish you the best as well. So in closing today, I want to thank Iowans for their continued support of our food banks. Your donations of time and money are um, making a difference for families in need. This week, the Iowa National Guard began conducting missions to support food bank needs in communities across the state, from packaging and delivering products to organizing mobile distribution sites. The Iowa National Guard soldiers and airmen are there to serve Iowans where, uh, wherever they need. Also, the FFA has answered the call to action by challenging its members across the state to volunteer at food banks and pantries in their communities. With the FFA connection to agriculture and ag education, this really is a perfect partnership that will connect food banks with young volunteers uh, who are at much less of a risk to the virus to help address, again, food insecurity and allow students an opportunity to give back to their community and to demonstrate the living to serve which aspect of the FFA motto. Uh, So if you're an FFA FFA member, uh, partner with Volunteer Iowa to be connected with communities in or near your community. And finally, um, the Iowa Department of Agriculture um, and the Iowa pork producers, pig farmers, meat processors across the state are working together to to support the Iowa Food Bank Association. Through the Pass the Pork program, farmers are donating pigs to food bank programs. Local meat processors are have extended their hours of operation to process and package the pork donations to help meet the growing demand of food resources. And you can help too. So donations are needed to cover the cost of processing, storage, and delivery of the pork to food banks and pantries. Iowans can contribute to the Iowa Food Bank Association to help cover these costs and future purchases of Iowa produced meat for the food program. So to know to donate, just go to Iowa Food Bank Association's website at iowafba.org. And with that, we'll open it up for questions. Governor, can you talk about, um, with all of these new uh, guidelines for restaurants, how the state is going to go about enforcing that restaurants follow some of these uh guidelines and recommendations? Well, first of all, I have confidence in Iowans to do the right thing, and business owners are just as concerned, as you just heard uh, from Joel, that they want to make sure that they put all the measures in place, not only to to protect their employees, but to make sure that they can protect their the individuals that are going to uh, their patrons uh, as well as their community. So they were very proactive actually in reaching out to me, talking 
the, the Iowa Restaurant Association, talking to their members, talking about what they could do proactively to make sure that they could restore confidence to Iowans to open up their establishments and do it in a safe and responsible manner. So um, just like I think it's the Department of Inspection and Peels that works with the restaurants uh, across the state of Iowa, they will continue to do those uh, same um, visits and connections and continue to make sure that we're operating in a safe and responsible manner. But Caroline, they want to do that. They want to make sure that they're protecting their employers and that they can provide Iowans with the confidence they need to come back in and start to enjoy dine-in experiences, but doing it in a responsible manner by social distancing, by making sure that they're operating at 50% capacity, making sure that they're following the Department of Health public guidelines that have put out. And so I, they're going to continue to do what they need to do to provide that, ex that safe experience. Uh, Governor, you said contact tracing and testing is really important to reopening the economy. Do you have kind of any update on where the state is at with contact tracers? I think you said you were going to hire 200. And then do you have any updates on further test Iowa sites that will be open? Yeah, and so we're going to talk about that tomorrow. So I'm going to give an update on some of the numbers where we've currently done the testing, what we did this weekend, Saturday and Sunday in Des Moines. Uh, we've continued to uh, keep the operation open at Des Moines today. Uh, tomorrow and Wednesday, I believe, and, and probably all week is what we're looking at. And then in addition to that, as I mentioned, we'll be going into Waterloo, so that'll be the next site that we'll open up. We continue to do some long-term care strike teams where we're providing testing for um, the staff at our long-term care facilities, so we can start to do some surveillance testing so we can get in front of trying to identify, especially some of the individuals who test positive but have been asymptomatic. And then in addition to that, um, Dr. Padati and the team have been doing uh, serology testing uh, also. So that will give us some insight um, as we move forward and, again, just continue to understand the virus activity and how it's being spread and what we can do to mitigate and manage uh, the spread as we continue to reopen the state. We also will be looking at going into Woodbury County. They're seeing a significant spike. And so it'll be first of next week, maybe this weekend. We're looking at logistics right now. Now, uh, making sure that we have the team that's ready to set up and, and oper operationalize the the test Iowa site. So we're going to get up there as soon as as soon as we can. Hopefully this weekend, but if not, it'll be the first of of next week. And so um, also a component of that, as I've said, is the. Um, case investigation and tracing and so we the Department of Public Health yes this is Tuesday yesterday I believe provided training and the equipment to the uh, the guards, men and women that will be helping us with the contact tracing and investigation, as well as the individuals that are helping us through the Department of Public Health. So we can, and then some local, the local um, public health officials are doing some of that too. So we just knew that with the increased numbers in testing, we were going to bring, we were going to need to bring on additional individuals to do the testing. I'll say one more thing and then we'll go to the next question. But also with the assessment piece that we're doing with the test Iowa, we're able to get a lot of the information on the front end and continue to monitor, you know, Iowans health. And so that hopefully will help um, expedite some of the contract contact investigation and trust testing. <laughs> Governor, there's about a 500 case discrepancy between what the state and Blackhawk County is reporting. Is that is that a lag in the state results or are, are, are they recording things differently? 
Yeah, so thanks for the question. Um, we do, our, our reporting time frame um, is, uh, it cuts off at 10 o'clock the following morning. So the results that were reported today are results as of 10 o'clock a.m. yesterday. So the Black Hawk County Public Health Department is um, undoubtedly using a different time frame in terms of their results reporting. And so any, we'll catch up with them tomorrow um, in terms of the data that's posted on the state website. Sarah, can you put a number on how many contract contact tracers Iowa needs to be efficient in its contact tracing? Um, yeah, so Caroline, I uh, we have about a workforce of about 200 that have been identified as uh, from the state level at this particular point in time. And so when we think about the number of new cases we're seeing a day, um, even at 500 cases a day, I think that'll be manageable with the additional resources at the state level. We have also been communicating with local public health agencies and talking to them about their capacity as we've seen cases really start to rise in some locations and we're asking them if they are interested in turning those contact tracing um, interviews over to the state. So we're offering support to locals in that way to the extent that they're not able um, to get them done just due to lack of resources at the local level that we're offering to step in from the state perspective and assist them with that. Because they're doing so much at the local level. It's not just that. That's a small component, an important one, to the many things that we're asking them to do. And so this is something that we can help alleviate some of their time on. So, And you know what? We'll continue to monitor that. So if we figure out or if we decide that we need more as we start to stand up more sites, then we'll take a look at what that looks like and we'll look for additional resources. Um, potentially even the National Guard could bring on some additional resources uh, with the title, uh, the, the federal guidelines that we've been able to that they're operating under now, uh, we are able to bring on about a thousand um, guardsmen and women, so that will help uh, help immensely. Tony, the one register, go ahead. Thank you, Governor. I want to ask you about uh, religious services. Why did you agree to allow them to open in all counties? And also, what advice would you know. have for? ministers and other leaders and their parishioners for this weekend about what they should do. Okay. So I think, can you tell me the first part of the question? What was the first part of the question? Why did you agree to allow services to be held this weekend throughout the state instead yep. of just in the uh, 77 counties? Well, I never shut it down, and I think it comes down to constitutional liberties and the First Amendment, and so we are going to continue to work with our churches across the state. We would encourage them to continue to offer online services, especially for our our most vulnerable Iowans um, that should continue to um, use the online services for church. We're also encouraging them to practice, and they will, to practice social distancing, to think about different measures that they can put in place. Uh, the Department of Public Health has put together guidelines that um, that they should, you know, follow um, through the services, but they, they'll make sure that they're practicing safe worship uh, in the services for Iowans across the state. And then Iowans also need to be responsible so if you're sick, you need to stay home, continue to utilize uh, the online services. And, um, and and those that do go, we know that social distancing works, so we should incorporate that into opening up our um, the, the services. All right, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds in her daily press conference will air it at 11 o'clock for the foreseeable future as long as uh, she deems it necessary. Zuma Mahente will join the program next. You know what I did notice over the weekend watching the um, watching the draft? Mm-hmm. I'd never seen the ESPN campus. Oh, really? Per se? Yeah, yeah. 
how much land that they've got. How big that it looks on TV. It's monstrous. They had the the drone, I guess, flying over. Yeah. Oh, did you know it was that big? Tens of thousands of employees. I guess, yeah. During normal seas. So, I mean, you kind of think of a college campus. That's yeah. why it's called a campus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, KXNO and iHeart want to help you with your bills. Text the keyword HOPE to 200-200 right now. That's HOPE to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Hope to 200-200, your chance to win $1,000. Zubin Mahente joins Trent Condon and myself. We're Miller and Condon until noon. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3. Food Bank of Iowa. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Take you up until oh, just before noon. Zuba Mahente from ESPN Sports Center. He joins the program. Zubin, Trent, and Ken, lots of ground to cover with. You know, just before we went to break, uh, I was I, I brought up the fact watching the draft uh, over the weekend and all the drone shots of the ESPN campus. I guess, Zubin, for whatever reason, I didn't realize how big uh, it is. Um, boy, oh boy, it's a big place. When uh, when you pull into Bristol, I'm guessing it'd be hard to miss uh, the ESPN campus. How are you? Good. It's actually, you know, it's one of those things when you talk to people that have been here for, like when you talk to Berman, it's been here for 40 and there's a small handful of employees. I know Bob Lee just retired, but there's a small group of employees that have been here since 1979. And, you know, they can tell you stories about when the this is kind of like a little quirk. Um, uh, there was a McDonald's that used to be across the street from ESPN, and it went out of business. And I don't think any McDonald's anywhere domestically. I know internationally sometimes McDonald's is hit and miss with customers, but there was a uh, McDonald's across the street from ESPN that went out of business as they developed the cafeteria here. There used to be a bar right across the street. It was called the White Birch way before my time, where after the show – it would be the usual, all right, let's go knock back a couple at the bar right across the street. And things have really changed. Um, we have a building zero, which houses used to house ESP in the magazine. And now when I walk around campus, I work in a building four. The directors are in building five. Human resources is building 13. And Jeez. now you're starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger. We have a gigantic satellite farm, as you might imagine, with just dishes pointing in every direction up in the sky to bring in all the games. So... It is one of those things every once in a while you walk around campus and you're just sort of like, you feel like you're at a college campus. There's just tons and tons of buildings and tons and tons of people walking around. If you watch some editions of Sports Center coming in and out of the commercial breaks, like you said, they do do those drone shots. Um, and they're kind of interesting to see. We're pretty secluded. Bristol, Connecticut is really small. Campus is fenced in and there's a ton of security. That's like the one mm. thing that I still am amazed by after a decade how much security there is, but it is a really cool place to visit. If anybody's ever around that's listening, that ever visits the East Coast for any reason, they do do tours, not at this moment, obviously, because of the pandemic where they're limiting people, but once everything gets back to normal, they're free, uh, and they're 90 minutes, and you get to see the set and all that, so if anybody ever makes a, a trip out for whatever reason, uh, Little League World Series, something like that, sometimes the regionals are played out this way, or softball, um, it's definitely worth stopping by, and if anybody needs anything, they can uh, have you connect me, and we can hook it up. It's free, and it's cool for anybody that wants to be in TV or just want to 
Get a peek behind the curtain. Well, there you go, audience. Yes. If you want, if you want that, uh, Zubin would uh, through Trent or myself would be happy to uh, uh, to connect that. Well, Zubin, uh, before we get in, I want to obviously do last dance. We want to do the draft, but you had a conversation with a uh, uh, with a with a coach, a small college coach, and you know, from where we sit, we see the you know the the Power Five conferences and the the struggles, the decisions that they're going to have to make. Uh, we know what's going on, you and I, and the buy games that they get, and there's a lot of schools in that boat. Uh, Zubin, um, but it, it, everybody's affected by this, right? Listen to this story. I'm glad you brought it up. Ken and I were texting about this because I know you have schools like Drake and you and I that are obviously in a little bit of a different boat than Jimmy Pollard was talking about with the blizzard or the long, hard winter or the ice age. And I think we know there's a huge difference between those Power 5 schools and the, and the NBC and for talking for basketball and obviously football is a totally different situation. But even below the NBC out here, in Connecticut, we have a ton of D1 schools. UConn is our big school, and I didn't talk to Dan Hurley about this, but we have schools like Sacred Heart, Central Connecticut State, um, Fairfield, Quinnipiac, um, Hartford, Yale, those types of schools. And I ran into a coach from one of the schools at the supermarket, actually, and we were talking, and uh, he said to me, he goes, this is how much at our level, things are affected right now. And you think about Iowa State with the 75 to $90 million. Think about this. He said to me, my athletic director came to me and said, if you pick up one more five games, and for those in the audience that don't know, a game that essentially they would be paid a massive amount of money to go play against a higher echelon opponent, probably lose. And so the higher echelon team wins, and the other school wins that I'm talking about by taking home a big check. And the coach said, my AD came to me and said, if you can just take one more of these buy games for $100,000, then you'll probably lose, no big deal. But if you can schedule one more and you can put that one hundred grand back into our athletic department, a hundred grand for a no-pressure game will extend your contract by one year. Can you believe that? Oh, one game that you may lose, probably aren't going to win. Um, this team is playing Michigan in a couple years in the non-con. So they have to challenge themselves. Uh, they play in a small conference out here. But they said, one game, if we can make it work, throw it back into the department for everybody to use, for everyone to use, and we'll extend your contract by a full year. So those are some of the things that are going on at the smallest level. And when you're talking about college basketball, there's just a gigantic chasm between the very top, like, you know, Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, and where we're talking here. I just thought that was a story that, that literally blew me away. You can have an extra year of job security. <laughs> we just need this check, and we need you to really play this game. It's unbelievable. And there's the other side of the equation, and I heard Mike Bray talking about this, where he's looking at home and homes. He's not looking at the same number of buy games that they normally would have in Notre Dame's non-conference schedule. You know, we're not talking about some mid-level program here. We're talking about Notre Dame. Not only has had basketball success, but the endowment, the money oh. that that university has, and they're looking at cutting costs. So it's difficult for the mid-majors and the low-majors to get these buy games, and and it might become even more difficult because they say, you know what, it just makes more sense for us instead of having four, five, six of these in the non-conference uh, for Iowa, have a home and home with Missouri. For Iowa State, have a home and home with Nebraska, with Minnesota, and it makes more sense for them instead of paying out a hundred thousand dollars to the little guy. No doubt, especially if you know who knows where we're going to be in November in college basketball, and obviously everything's up in the air. But you know, one thing that has been put out there is to essentially say now, you know, for the, for conferences like the Big Twelve that are a little far flung, that have teams in Iowa 
and if teams as far east as West Virginia, it's a little difficult. But there's been a proposal out there to essentially say if it really gets down to it, and obviously this is still a state-by-state situation, but certain geographic portions of the country are more damaged than others, that a lot of teams are saying, let's just play conference games, right? Let's just play conference games. And most of the drive can be made, like I said, the exception from like Ames to Morgantown, you'd want to fly. But if you're down on Tobacco Road in your North Carolina State, Duke, UNC, NC State, Clemson, all those things are drivable. Um, you don't have to get on an airplane, but that eliminates all by games, which to a smaller degree eliminates the win possibility for the big programs. But to your point, Trent, that doesn't enable any of these schools to go get a check, which could keep the athletic department afloat. So you're right. If they essentially say we're just going to do geographic matchups like Iowa and Missouri, it's cross-conference, obviously, but it's still two power conferences meeting teams that just, quote-unquote, don't need the money. I certainly think Iowa would take the money at this point, as with any athletic department. But if they do go to a situation where you're saying only conference games, if it were to get to a level like that, then you're hurting the little guy even more because you're robbing them of five, six, seven, eight opportunities, depending on what they can schedule, especially early in the season. Zuma Mahente from ESPN in his regular spot here, Miller and Condon, 1460, KXNO 106.3 FM. Zuma, we'll get to the draft in a moment. I'm anxious to hear your take on, on, on the picks, but also how it came together, which I thought was brilliant considering the circumstances. But let's do Last Dance first of all, and Trent and I spent some time on it yesterday, but not enough. It deserved more. Three and four, I, I wasn't sure one and two would be beaten, but I thought three and four were uh, every bit, if not uh, maybe even better uh, than the first two. And the bar was set very high, at least with me. Uh, the Jordan rules that the Pistons had in place uh, during the uh, 89, 90, and 91 um rivalry, if you will. Uh, we would never see anything like that today. It was vicious, vicious basketball, uh, Zubin, as you look back in that. And the Jordan rules uh, were, were certainly a prime example of it. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's been a really long time since Sam Smith wrote that book. And when you mention those three words, people of age can still remember exactly what you're talking about, which really makes this series amazing, as we had discussed last week. You haven't thought about some of these people other than Michael and Scotty and maybe Phil and obviously Rodman, um, just because he's been involved in so many antics post-basketball, you know, Kim Jong-un, all that stuff. Right. a large part of the roster, you don't think about it. The one thing I've been thinking as I've been watching this series, and I can't shake it, is let's say they had aired this series, you know, I don't know, four or five years after Michael was done instead of Michael sitting on it for 22 years. I don't think it would have had the same impact it's having now, mm-hmm. and not just because time makes the heart grow fonder, and everybody loves nostalgia. All those things are true, no doubt. I think what's making this series so special, and this is, guys, this is just my opinion, and you could obviously agree, disagree. We're living at a time now, and I'm not making any statements here. We're just living at a time now where people appreciate authenticity. You know, I don't have to like you. I don't have to love you. But if I kind of know who you are, I can accept it. We're also much more accepting. We're tolerant. We're letting our guard down a little bit more. Uh, than we have. We're letting our vulnerabilities shine through. And if I can lower my guard a little bit, it's okay for you to lower your guard a little bit. Somebody like Kyrie Irving, you know, 20 years ago, Kyrie Irving is aloof. Now there's a segment of people that just think he's his own guy. He's just his own man. Let him be his own dude. 20 years ago, people would have said Kevin Durant was soft and sensitive. And now people are saying, Mm. hey man, he just has feelings and he wants to express them. And What's wrong with that? There's plenty of people that are interested to see what Kevin Durant has to say. So I think we're just living in a period now where we're accepting and we love people that are authentic. 
and are just real. Don't have to agree. Don't have to disagree. But I respect the fact that you're showing me who you are and you're being your true self. And I think you see interview after interview in this series, especially for Michael uh, and a lot of other people, they're just saying, look, I don't care. about. I'm not worried about losing an endorsement contract here. I'm not worried about anything. This, this special is basically going to be the show of record for one of the greatest periods in NBA history. So let me just lay it on the line. And I definitely believe the honesty and frankness, overall level of candor that is breaking through in this series is really resonating because we're living in a time now where those traits are more appreciated than ever. It's no more zip your lip to keep the endorsement and Republicans buy shoes too and all this sort of stuff from back in the day. I just think this series is meeting the moment in time. And other than the great, great stories that are being told from legends, it's just the way they're being told and the way that we converse with each other that I think that's making this really special. Talking with ESPN Zubin Mahente, a look at the last dance and look forward. Zubin, as you look to the end, I heard they're still working on the final episode, the 10th one of it. Have you heard? Is, is that one finished yet, or is that going to be an ongoing process up until we get to that final Sunday? I don't know about that part, but I do know it's still ongoing. Like I don't know exactly when it's going to be finished in that regard, but it is still being tinkered with the last I heard. If you're interested, and a lot of your listeners are interested, if you just go to like the uh, you know show page for the documentary in and of itself, if you just find it on Google, you know, you know, uh, the last dance, the director, all these people have done interviews, and it's really fascinating because obviously you want to hear from stars. But I'm just as interested. It sounds like you guys are too, to an extent, and I think a lot of viewers are. How this was made, yeah. what questions were asked, um, just how did it all come together? And I know the director, Jason Zahir, has done a bunch of interviews. I think he's on Rich Eisen's show recently. So if you're interested in all that stuff and how it all came together, just do a simple Google search. It'll come up with all the behind-the-scenes players, and then you'll be able to see a lot of audio uh, from them. It's a good way to pass 15 or 20 minutes or a good way to kind of pass the time between every Sunday. So as far as I know, they're still tinkering. But for the best information, those guys are out there, been in demand, and they've been telling some, some pretty good background. You know, I, I hope there's a director's cut or a stuff that didn't make the 10 episodes that might come out later on. I'd love to hear some of the stuff that wasn't included. They've got to have, I mean, they follow them around for an entire year. I think that would be fascinating. And who knows, maybe that doesn't have to be right away, Zubin. Maybe that, uh, I don't know when it would be released, but I would certainly watch it, and I think I speak for a lot of people. Well, I speak for a lot of people, I believe, with uh, with this, uh, that the draft was way better than most anticipated. I don't know what if we knew what to expect, Zubin. We we really didn't know maybe what how it was going to come off, uh, but look at the acclaim that uh, we're hearing from coaches and general managers, uh, the fact that we've got kids that were involved in this. Zubin, it, it couldn't have worked out any better from... Uh, from my perspective, uh, watching it, I was not bored one little bit. Uh, I anticipate we'll see more of this, maybe not with the first round, but some aspects of what we went and saw this weekend I think will be incorporated in future drafts, Zubin. I agree. I mean, there wasn't any real technological disruption. You know, there were 41 trades in 2019. There were 33 this year. So that's a number that's reduced. There was a lot of trading on Saturday, as you know. That number is down 41 to 33. But considering the notion that people thought that trades couldn't be pulled off because of timing and technology, I really don't think it's that much of a dip uh, at all. I heard Howie Roseman, to your point with the kids, Howie Roseman, who's the executive vice president and general manager of the Eagles, you know, he said that when the team was making the picks, you know, the Jalen Hurts pick and the Jalen Rager pick and all these picks, his kids were with him, as you mentioned. He had mentioned to Rich, 
his, he had never watched an Eagles game. And the entire, this is his second go-around in the front office with Chip Kelly in between. He has never watched an Eagles game with his kids, ever. Uh, he's obviously traveling, and then when he's at home, they're in the box, they're doing whatever. And it was like, here I am picking guys for the Eagles, and I've never been able to share a moment like this with my kids. I'm um, going to games. You would think that, you know, at some point around the, around the line, that would have been done. But he said, I've never done it just because of my game day responsibilities, especially when we're on the road for half the game. And he said, to be able to share that was great. I also think, you know, people thought there were going to be some very negative viral moments, but it turned out, you know, things like Belichick's dog and Cliff's house and Rabel's mannequin, like all that stuff turned out to be great, uh, positive things from a viral perspective. And I think at the end of the day, for us, what was really important is equity is everything. You know, Trey Wingo essentially took over for uh, Mike Greenberg on Mike and Mike. It's now called Golick and Wingo. But this was the ultimate event, as you referenced, with the lack of uh, technological know-how and sort of what's going to happen, that you want a guy that's just used to anything. And if you're hosting a show like Mike and Mike, and you guys know, you guys talk on the radio 10 hours a week, most of it is unscripted. You don't know what's happening. You don't know who's going to call, who's going to say what, what might break. So it's really important to have a host that can roll with any of the punches. And Trey's been doing that for a long time, filling in for Greenberg, which is, you know, radio, the ultimate sort of ad lib, never know what's going to happen. He's hosted NFL Live. He doesn't host it anymore, but he hosted it for the majority of the years since it came on the air 17 years ago. And so I think it's really important. And for Reese in the college situation, all those people on the college broadcast are people you're used to seeing every Saturday on college game day. So from an equity standpoint and from a standpoint of, uh uh-oh, if anything happens, we had people in place that were already dealing almost every day in sort of fly-by-your-seat, high-wire acts. And I think that really helped, too. And I would imagine, not that I've spoken to anybody about this, that really puts a lot of people at ease. And the people you have in those chairs have a ton of experience and a ton of experience in unscripted formats. And I think that gave Seth Markman, who's our vice president, leads our NFL coverage, uh, a lot of confidence. And it bore fruit Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Zubin, you know, for the last month, a lot of people have asked me, boy, what are you going to do to fill out 10 hours a week, as you've mentioned? And, well, we have the NFL draft. We don't have the NFL draft anymore. That is open. We're recapping this week, and then you look forward. Major League Baseball hasn't been a whole lot of conversation. I know NHL, NBA continue to talk about a way to get their to get their playoffs in in some form or fashion. What's the latest you're hearing, and What's next? What's next inside the world of sports inside America? Well, I think two things are worth mentioning. One, the NBA is going to really, they said another target date, which you probably saw yesterday of May 8th. There is one thing to keep in mind that not a lot of people are talking about. We were discussing it late last night, and that is if things were to get way, way, way worse for the NBA, and I don't think they are, but Silver essentially said, look, we got zero revenue coming in right now. It is possible next month, and it'll start to pick up some steam. Uh, that the NBA could dissolve its collective bargaining agreement. And that would be way worse than reducing pay 25% and putting it in escrow. To, to blow up the CBA for the major professional sport in this country that's had the best relationship within its owners and its players of the big four could be huge. So that's something to keep in mind. And for the golf fans, I think this is the most important one since golf is probably going to make the first return and it's natural social distancing, especially with no gallery. If golf goes off, guys, in a span of five months, we were looking at this the other day, it's going to be the PGA Championship, the Tour Championship, the U.S. Open, and the Ryder Cup, and the Masters in five months. That's Think great. about that. All of those okay. in five months. <laughs> and then the next April, 
He would have the Masters yeah. again. He does the Masters twice in five months. It's kind of quirky. But all of those events, uh, two majors, three majors actually make it, uh, the Tour Championship and obviously the, the pageantry, the Ryder Cup, that would all be scrunched in a five-month period ending on November 12th. So if golf is your thing, that may be the one thing to really look for. Zip, we've got like a minute left. I, I just want to go back to the draft for a second because Chris Mortensen's been on our televisions for – 30 years minimum, right? I mean, that was his first draft was 30 years ago. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, his tribute to what he said about his mentor, Chris Mortensen. Uh, look, he's obviously going through a, uh, a battle with cancer right now, but I, a real tip of the cap for carving out some time to pay tribute to a guy who's been a part of this and a part of the NFL coverage for three plus decades. Yeah, but he about the notes column people talk about all these notes columns you see the columnists do you know a lot of it in baseball was started by peter gammy sunday boston globe here's what i'm hearing it's not the fanciest thing in the world but i'm plugged in with all the teams and here's what i'm hearing in many ways mortensen was that guy for the nfl will mcdonough of nbc mm-hmm. sports his father sean mcdonough excuse me his son sean mcdonough who many of us know and i think he came from a world of newspapers much like gammon did for baseball mortensen was for football, and it seems impossible for young people to think there wasn't this sort of interest in the NFL 30 years ago. But we're all of age. Listen, OTAs not a big deal 20 years ago. Minicamp not a big deal 20 years ago. Preseason not a big deal. Uh, combine draft 20, 30 years ago. These were niche things that Morton Finn was uncovering nuggets of left and right, left and right. And as I go back to my first answer, it's like the man meeting the moment. Now that the NFL has become flush with interest. He's still the guy that's out there with Ed Schefter, the preeminent guy in the business, every Sunday morning on ESPN for Countdown. So he got the bug early. He saw what was released, and three decades later, he's still there. He's doing the best he can. Wonderful, wonderful guy, too, if you ever meet him in person. Zubin Mahente from ESPN. Zubin, thank you. We will talk to you in a week's time. Be well, my friend. Take care. Good to talk to you. Zuba Mahente uh, from ESPN in his uh, regular spot. Good stuff out of Zubin as we go around the sports. Uh, grateful to have Zubin as part of our radio program. What's part of your night other than heading out to the deck yeah. and looking at the sky? you got it figured out. Other than that, the agenda, pretty light for a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Same here, Trent. <laughs> Uh, David Kaplan will be a part of the show tomorrow. I think we're going to do the Chiefs recap this defending yeah. Super Bowl champs. A couple of other things working as well. Murph and Andy will be working at 2. The Fanatics at 4. The Morning Rush tomorrow at 6. We're Miller and Condon. 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO. 106.3 FM.